Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is A Warning, Who to Watch Out For, Who to Watch Out For. Mark 12, 35 to 40. And we've all heard the warnings before. Watch out for, if you're at work, watch out for this boss. He's really tough. Or watch out for that coworker. They'll stab you in the back, right? Hopefully it's not you. Watch out for uh, this teacher. Don't take that teacher. They're really hard. Take this teacher much, much easier. Or in your neighborhood, the neighbor says, watch out for this neighbor. They gossip all the time. Well, what are you doing? Uh, so uh, watch out for the school bully. That guy's going to put you in the locker or put your head in the toilet and flush it or something like that. Uh, parents, as parents, we warn our kids all the time, stay away from that guy, right? Or that girl. And a lot of times they end up marrying them after we warn them, right? Or stay away from this friend because that's trouble. That friend's trouble. We always warn, 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 right? Well, today we're going to see that Jesus gives a warning who to watch out for. And it's a very surprising group of people that he says to watch out for. Wait till you see this. Now let's start with prayer. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace to hear your word and for your word to touch our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts. And I pray for those who don't know you yet, that they would put their faith in you. For those of us who do, that your Spirit would help us take the next step on our faith journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, remember, if you've been coming lately with Jesus is in the middle of this battle it's really a UFC battle he's fighting the Pharisees but it's Jesus versus all of them at the same time they're attacking Jesus and he's evaded them every step of the way and now he turns around and he goes on the offense that's we're going to see this week next week he's on the offensive let's pick it up in Mark 12 verse 35 While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Woo! Now we're going to use a, a parallel passage too in Matthew 22 to 23. So you'll see behind us we'll be bouncing back between Mark 12 and Matthew 22 and 23. They're same story but Matthew brings out a few more details that I want to use today. But let's look start off with the first two verses here. Uh, Verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts he asked how is it that the teachers of the law said that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. The parallel passage is in Matthew 22, and I'll read this. In Matthew 22, verse 41, starting, he says, 
While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we see Jesus going on the offensive here. And now it's his turn to ask the hard questions. They've been asking hard questions. Now it's his turn. The hunter, the, the hunted becomes the hunter. He, it's his turn. And he asks them, whose son is the Christ? Who is he? And the Christ is the Messiah, the person that God is going to send to save the nation of Israel and, it turns out, the entire world. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah. And they say, well, the son of David. Everybody knows that. Then, then Jesus says, and how then can David, speaking by the Holy Spirit, call him Lord? And notice something here. There's a lot of the, a lot, very important truth taught in that. He says, Speaking by the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. David is speaking. When David says in Psalm 110, in Psalm 110, verse 1, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put, make your enemies a footstool for your feet. When he says that, Jesus says he's speaking by the Holy Spirit. And it's very important to understand that, that God's word, from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, God's word is not the writing of men. It's the Holy Spirit who is speaking. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. God actually breathes it through the Holy Spirit. In, in 2 Peter 1, in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by man's, I'm sorry, about the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has written this book. From Genesis through Revelation, the Holy Spirit has written every word. He has moved and breathed through prophets and through apostles and through, in such a way that it's God's word. Jesus called it God's word. It is written. Very, very important. Don't miss, don't miss the truth of Jesus here. But then, back to our passage in Matthew 22, 41 to 46. Going back here, Jesus says, if he's David's son, why does he call him Lord? Right? I don't call any of my kids Lord. <laughs> they know who's boss. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. But, but he, he, if it's his son, why does he call him Lord? In fact, that's the same thing that he just called God. The Lord said to my Lord, right? He, it's the same word. How, how can that be? He's really asking, how can, he be, how can he be God? How can the Messiah be God if he's his son, if he's, he's, the, if he's the descendant? How can he be? That doesn't make, you know, Jesus he throws that hard question out them. And they have no answer. He really shuts them up. But God's word has the answer. In Romans 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. 
He was a descendant of David, but he's also the son of God, and it was proved by the resurrection of the dead. Yes, a descendant of David. Yes, part of the kingly line of David, but he's the son of God. The only way David's son can be his Lord is if the Messiah is God born in human flesh. That's the only way. And the crowd was eating this up because Jesus had just exposed their faulty theology, their false teaching, and now he's going to expose them for what they really are. They're a bunch of fakes. A bunch of fakes. Listen back to Mark chapter 12, verse 38. He says, as Jesus taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be judged, such men will be punished most severely. Most severely. Watch out for the teachers of the law. In Matthew 23, It gives even more detail. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees... Jesus is talking about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, sit in Moses' seat so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He's talking to the, about the teachers of the law, about the Pharisees. What? These guys are supposed to be the good guys, right? If you were living at this time in Israel, you're talking about the spiritual leaders of Israel. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees were the spiritual They're supposed to be the good guys, but they're not. We need to be discerning. We need to be discerning. It, very, very important that, that, we're, that we're discerning. And look what he says back in uh, Mark 12. We're going to bounce back and forth here. Mark 12, verse 38, it says, They like to walk around in flowing robes. In flowing robes. In Matthew 23, 5, it says, Everything they do, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. It's all about an outward show. It's showing off their spiritual egos. You turn on the TV set and you see who's preaching and 99% of the time, it's, not a, it's, it's these guys. There's some godly men on TV. There's some. Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll, different people like that. David Jeremiah, but the vast majority of them are, are not. You see, what do you see on TV? Guys with $1,000 suits and these gold pinky rings flying around in their private jets, right? Flowing robes. And speaking of flowing robes, we just had a religious guy visiting Philly not too long ago with a very flowing robe and soaking up men's praises, didn't we? You connect the dots. Mark 12, back to Mark 12, 38. They like to walk around in flung robes and be greeted in the marketplaces. Well, what's wrong with that? If I'm at Wawa, I see a lot of people, and I say, hey, how's it going? Right? Well, it was the kind of greeting that they demanded, that they wanted. In fact, in Matthew 23, 7, it says specifically, they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Rabbi. 
That's the problem. They want to be greeted and be called, they demand to be called rabbi. In fact, and Jesus shows that they're really all about power and popularity and prestige when he goes on to say, verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The problem is they wanted to be called rabbi. Don't let, don't be called and don't let anyone call, don't call yourself rabbi. Because why? Only Jesus is your master. You have one master. Only Jesus is the master. And the Jewish people still use rabbi, uh, which they're not supposed to. Jesus says don't use it because it's really a form of master. The equivalent in Christian churches is reverend. Reverend. I mean, think about that. Revered. Reverend. It just, ugh, right? Spiritually? It's not right. That's the equivalent that we use in the church today. Don't let anyone call you father. I'm not talking about your kids and dad. I'm talking about a spiritual title. Father, because you have only one father in heaven. We're not supposed to use it. Anybody grow up in a church where that's what you called the clergy? Even the word pope itself means papa, father. Complete contradiction of Jesus' words here in God's word. Teacher. Don't be called teacher either, because why? Jesus is the only teacher. It doesn't mean we can't teach in the church, but that shouldn't be our teacher. Uh, The best equivalent of that today in the church is doctor. Doctor. Now, it's not wrong to get a religious PhD and get degrees, but you shouldn't use the title in the church. We shouldn't use it. Even in some churches, you, you, the pastors, you go out and it's Dr. Reverend Dry as Dust. You know, you get that whole, the whole thing there, right? And it's like, what? The words of Christ are very clear. That's why, sorry, Leno, I can't call you Reverend Doctor anyway. That's our joke. We joke each other. I, I call him Dr. Reverend Leno Hopewell. But anyway, uh, he says the greatest among you will be your servant, that's why the only, if you look at the New Testament, the, the biblical term for someone who shepherds a church is pastor. That's the word used. And, and it's, it's not a title of honor. It's not reverend, doctor. It's pastor. And the interesting thing about pastor, if you really know what it means, I was talking to this guy from Italy one time. He was right from Italy. And, and, he, and, he, and he says, well, what do you do? He said, I said, I'm a pastor. And he started snickering. He goes, really? You call, you call yourself that? He goes, he goes, well, in Italian, that means pastore, uh, pastor, pastor. I don't know how, even how to say it. But he said, pastor means a shepherd, someone who looks after the dirty sheep. You know, he's like laughing about that. I go, yeah, you got it right. Yeah, that's what I do. So anyway, don't take it personal. <laughs> that's, that's the title it's a servant and then he says in, in Mark twelve thirty nine, it says not only that not only do these guys do this but in verse 39 he says and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets must be front row that's where they gotta be power popularity prestige and then in verse 40 he says after that he says they devour widows houses and for a show make lengthy prayers such men will be punished most most severely 
most severely. They devour widows' houses. They steal them. Uh, but for a show, make lengthy prayers. And you say, wow, that's crazy. Well, hey, I see it happening here. There's a church I know who I'm good friends with, the new pastor. And he's telling me the story about the former pastor and how he almost destroyed the church. And it turns out when he was finally fired over some crazy things he did, it turns out he had, he had worked it out with two widows in the church that they left their houses to him. I mean, think about that. This is an evangelical, strong, Bible-believing church. It happens. It's, there's wolves. Well, we'll talk about wolves later. He, he had worked it out, not just one, one widow, but two. Everything they had was left to him. He had in, it wormed his way in there and, and, and gotten everything. And their families were furious. Of course. That's what these guys were doing. That's what they were doing. And they, but they make these long prayers to, to cover it up. They're greedy hypocrites. In Matthew 23, verse 14, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Therefore, you will be punished most severely. And then Jesus goes right from that. He jumps right into the seven woes of Matthew 23. We're not going to read them all, but there's seven woes that he just hammers the Pharisees. Hammers them, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Seven times and he hammers them. And he ends it up in, in Matthew 23, 33 when he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Think I'm a little rough sometimes? How would you like to have Jesus in the church, right? Uh, you snakes. This is that loving Jesus that we all learned about in Sunday school. Just, just petted lambs and picked up children. Now, hey, there's another side to Jesus. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Wow. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to think about hell, do you? But it's a reality. And Jesus tells these Pharisees that's where they're going. It's quite a warning, isn't it? Let's connect some dots. He says, watch out for these guys who devour. It reminds me of another warning in, in Matthew 7. And in Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16, it's very, very reminiscent, the whole devouring and watch out for. Where he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. That's the key. That's the words of Christ. By their fruit you will recognize them. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Fruit is the key. And he's... Applying it here and there to religious leaders. And it's sad because religious leaders are the very ones that we should be able to trust. And yet they can be the most dangerous. Not all, but they can be the most dangerous. Why? Because we trust them. And several of you here have very painful stories of abusive church situations and pastors. And cult-like churches and cult-like pastors. And some of you have come out of cults, which are, this is what cults are, the wolves. The wolves, some of you have come from Mormon backgrounds or Jehovah Witnesses backgrounds where you've come from these, you've sat, you've lived under those wolves in sheep's clothing because they preach a different Jesus from a different Bible in a different way to God, a different salvation. They're false teachers. Some of you have come from churches pastored by false teachers, by wolves. 
And, and why do I say that? Because they didn't use God's word. They didn't preach from the Bible. Or they only believed parts of it. And they preached it very carefully. And they, they only preached certain parts because anything that they didn't like or anything that would offend people, they wouldn't preach from. A lot of you grew up there, right? You grew up in these churches. You attended these churches. I hear your stories. Or you, you went to these churches and you never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. You heard God is love and, and the golden rule, but you never heard the gospel that Jesus came to die for our sins. And he proved he was the son of God by rising from the dead. And that the only way to God, the only way to escape hell, the only way to God is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. By giving your life to him. By repenting of our old life and putting our faith in Jesus and giving our life to him. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But many of you never heard that in many years in these churches, did you? Because you were being pastored by wolves. TV preachers. Most of them, 99% of them, are wolves. They're scam artists. They just want money. It's unbelievable. Now, if, if, if there's a ministry on TV and they need money to keep going, that's fine. But, but these guys here, if you just send me a dollar, God will bless you with $10. And if you send me a hundred, God will give you a thousand. You'll get ten times. Just send it to this ministry. I'll send you a healing hanky or I'll send you a, you know, on and on, all kinds of, you know, holy water from the river Jordan and it's going to heal you and, and on and on and on and bye bye. And yeah, you, you all heard these things, you know. They're scam artists and they turn people off because they think that's real Christianity. They turn TV on. Oh, I'm not going to go to church. That's what it is. They turn people off to the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Religious, religious wolves. A lot of you grew up in church, church where there was a lot of child abuse. You come from these backgrounds. You've told me the stories. And how the clergy were abusing children and the, the, the people overseeing them were covering it up. A movie just won the Academy Award uncovering part of that terrible scandal. Now listen, most priests are, are you can, be tr- can trust, but it's shocking, isn't it, that these wolves were allowed to run rampant in churches? It's crazy. Wolves in sheep's clothing. We see it in politics right now, don't we? The whole presidential election is a lesson in wolves and wolves and sheep clothing. Many claim to be Christian to get votes. And they try to convince everybody that they're Christians. But remember something, it's not what they say, it's what their fruit is. Don't listen to what they say. What is the fruit? What is the fruit? What kind of life do they live? What is their character? How do they treat other people? Look at their lives. Are their spiritual beliefs biblical? Or do they invent their own religion as they go? It's not hard. Do a little bit of digging. You'll be shocked at what you find. What is their voting record? How do they vote on moral issues? These are not political issues. These are moral issues issues, biblical issues. How do they vote? Well, 
I'm a Christian, but I believe it's okay to kill a baby and sell its body parts. Not possible. When they say this, or when someone says they vote for someone like that, I, right away you've already showed me who you are. Either you're not a real Christian, or you're a Christian under delusion. You're a, you're a, a Christian who, is, who has, has hit room temperature. We've hit room temperature. We are now lukewarm. And you know what Jesus said? I will spit you out of my mouth. Very serious. And it breaks my heart when I see so many Christians deceived. Falling for the delusions with these political leaders. We saw it with the black church in the last two elections. Although, the second time around, a lot of godly black pastors took courageous stands with their congregations. Thank you. But we're seeing the same thing now with the white evangelicals right now. Connect the dots yourself. We're seeing the white evangelicals falling into the same traps. Don't listen to what a candidate says. Look at the fruit of his life. Look at his voting record on biblical issues. Look at the beliefs of his church. Find out what church they go to and really look at the beliefs. And things come out very, very quickly and very clearly what they really are all about. We as Christians need discernment. This is just one area. We need discernment in every area. The world is constantly trying to squeeze us. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't be conformed. Don't let, don't let the world mold our minds. God's word should be what our minds are set on. The Holy Spirit working through his word it should be what is transforming our minds. Is that happening? Are we for real? What's not, we're focusing all these wacky religious stuff. Are we for real? Is our inward life the same as what we profess outwardly? Is it what our reputation is? What people see? Is our inward life, the, the, the life that the heart and mind that only Jesus really knows, does it match up? And that's what communion is all about today. As we go to communion now, it's connecting with God and cleaning out our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we can be in close communion with Jesus Christ, so we can be in that close connection with him. Are we checking the fruit in our lives? This is what communion is all about, really checking the fruit in our own lives. In Galatians 5, to 23, it tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I'm sorry, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's check our own fruit. What's the fruit in our life? Do we have this fruit in our life? As we go to this communion time, are we letting the Holy Spirit produce this by submitting to him? and surrendering to him, and staying close to Jesus. And that's what communion is all about. Communion is connecting. It's remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and gave his body in our place. He was the lamb who was sacrificed in our place. He was a substitute. He took our place, our punishment. He gave his own blood to wash us clean. And when we take the, the cup, 
The grape juice, we're remembering the blood that he gave for us so that we could be forgiven. When we eat the bread, we're remembering the body that he gave and, and that he died in our place. We're remembering that. And that we found forgiveness by putting our faith in him, our trust in him, by giving our life to him. How we take communion here, we just have the table set up here, and we have uh, the, 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 the bread and the, the juice up there. And when you feel ready to, to take it, just come on up and t- take it. You can go back to your seat, take it by yourself, with your, with a, your friends, with your family, however you feel that is. There's no right or wrong way. But there's some reasons why we shouldn't take communion. And nobody's looking around. We don't videotape. We're not taking attendance up at the table. This is between you and God. But there's two reasons why God's word says don't take communion. The first one is we haven't put our faith in Jesus yet. We haven't given our life to him yet. If you haven't taken that step, then wait for next time. Just wait. It's okay. But maybe today could be the day you put your faith in Jesus. The second reason is if God is convicting us of some sin in our life and we won't surrender it, we won't ask him for forgiveness... Don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Very, very serious. If there's something in our life that we aren't willing. But, but I didn't say if there's sin because we all have sin. But if we're not willing to say, God, please forgive me. Please help me fight this battle. We have to be willing to, to surrender that to him this morning. And because, and because we can't commune with God if there's a sin we won't surrender, right? There's something in between us and we have to ask for forgiveness. Very, very important. But I hope everybody here is able to surrender their life and every part of their life and, and commune with God, not just this morning, but every day. But that's between you and God. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus? That it's not an intellectual ascent. No, no matter what we talked about last week, the difference between human belief and biblical belief is six inches. It's a distance from your head to your heart. Biblical belief means to completely put your trust in and give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what the word means. Have you given your life to Jesus? Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as we go to this time of prayer? Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, giving your life to him. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and today is the day of salvation for you. You can pray to God right now, right where you're sitting. He will hear every thought you pray to him. Every word that goes out from your heart, he will hear it. Just pray, God, I believe Jesus was your son. I believe he is your son that died for me. As a substitute for my sin. For everything wrong I've ever done. All the guilt and the garbage that I carry. I ask you to forgive me. 
no matter what you've walked into with this morning, a heavy load on you of sin and garbage and hurt and wounds and whatever it is, it can be forgiven. Just say, God, please forgive me. I'm putting my faith, my complete trust, my hope in Jesus. And I give you my life. I repent of all that old life. And I give you my life, God. Whatever you want, this is your life now. If you pray that prayer, it's all gone. The sin, the guilt, the shame, the judgment, the fear is gone. Because you are now a child of God and you can commune with him any time. You can talk to him any time. Starting with today, taking communion. I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you've made that commitment. Maybe you have a friend here, a family member, with your parents or whoever. Maybe tell me on the way out or fill out the card, stick it in the box, the card in the bulletin or email, text. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and encourage you in your new life in Christ. For those who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move during this time of communion, transforming us, our our minds and our hearts and our lives, giving us discernment, filling us with the Holy Spirit's fire, transforming us to be like Jesus. We invite your Holy Spirit to move in a very special way now. In Jesus' name, amen.